Hello and welcome to the Moving Curve. I'm Rukmini, a data journalist based in Chennai. Two nights a week on this mini cast, I consider one question around the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. Tonight I'm considering this one. What does political life look like in a pandemic? It's day 326 of the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. and we are reporting 10,054,946 confirmed cases with 145,804 deaths one of the things that i've been thinking about especially as more states gear up for elections next year is how political life in india has changed in the pandemic i watch videos of elected representatives meeting their constituents and i see the crowds of people there to see them to touch them to talk to them and i wonder how politicians balance the very indian need to connect intimately with people with their own safety considerations ptr palanivel tyagarajan is an mla who represents madurai central legislative constituency in the tamil nadu assembly i should start with two caveats one if you're looking for a hard hitting political interview this is not it Mr Tyagarajan is someone I know a little bit and that's why I asked if he'd give me an insight into changes into his political life now. Secondly, Mr Tyagarajan is not your average MLA. He comes from a political family well known to the state and he studied and worked in investment banking for 30 years in the US and Singapore before moving back to Madurai before the last election in 2016. He also heads the DMK's IT wing. but for many of these very reasons he offers a fascinating insight into the incredible change that the pandemic has forced on electoral campaigning i started the interview by telling him how surprised i was to see him do a zoom call with me in a mask even though there seemed to be no one else in his room i think through example yeah through repeated kind of uh what do you say statement of the values this is who we are this is what we do this is what we don't do this is what i want to build this is how i want you to behave and then signaling you know because you can't actually communicate directly that often Dang. whenever you get a chance to act or not act you Dang. use that as a way of signaling to people where you stand and what your values are and what is acceptable and not Dang. and that has been actually quite quite uh, um what can i say impactful for me right and so i've done a lot of that and so i think this is just a continuation of that that by always appearing with a mask even at weddings and at speeches and at everything right a it actually uh, increases my credibility for my message that says right. do do as i say and do as i do rather than uh, split Right. and be a kind of uh, what can i say it's actually helpful because our lives have gone back to normal you know one of the things i was thinking about when you asked mm-hmm. uh, most politicians are back to as if covid didn't exist right and when we are at that level of normal then really it makes a big difference that we shouldn't become the risk carriers you know i meet like 1000 people uh, on a on a on a busy day Right. And heaven forbid, both for my conscience and for my political career, right. were I to get infected and then turn out to be the transmitter, right. then you know it will become a real problem. I asked him then about what it's like 
relating to people while trying to stay safe and i felt that he did an unusually good job of acknowledging his privilege such an important part of a politician's job is um showing a, a sense of solidarity or uh, you know erasing uh, class differences or power differences in interactions with your constituents and i wonder if uh, people like you struggle with how to uh, balance say uh, distancing or masking or you know not touching those sort of health necessities with the openness and the sort of solidarity that you need to show to your constituents the need to not make them uh, feel um, insulted or you know denigrated in any way that must be a very hard balancing act uh actually that's a very thoughtful question but i i think i'm in a very unique position so i have actually a slightly different problem i i have it better in some ways and worse in some ways okay um worse in the sense that i was quite aggressive uh, in the early days of covid when we didn't quite understand how it spread and how virulent things were and what really was mm-hmm. i was not taking risks so starting as early as late march I started sending uh, WhatsApp videos and kind of uh, uh, texts and uh, you know uh, uh, other signals that you know you must wear a mask, you must not leave the house if not necessary, you must not gather in crowds, only meet in open spaces. Right. You know, I bought uh, I bought devices like this for all my office bearers. I see. I, I just an uh, oximeter. Yeah, I encourage them. to uh, to set examples as what secretaries as leaders i didn't come out of my house for almost 60 days i see uh, though i had the luxury of having an establishment set up well enough almost like a corporate establishment that i was able to get supplies to about 20000 families without having to do it personally mm-hmm. but uh, since i had taken such an aggressive approach of trying to tell people how they ought to behave and that the government alone cannot control risk for you you have to do your part right then uh, actually by the time we realized the extent of its risk and the fact that you could take only relatively few precautions mm-hmm. and get 90% of the risk away right uh, i was actually in a position to other than the fact that i wear a mask and that i avoid being in a closed room with more than two or three people for any length of time I'm actually back 100% to normal. I attend all functions. I, I touch as many people as I need to. I shake as many hands. I put as many salves because I, I realized I couldn't stop that. It would get insulting. You're exactly right. But I have a different problem, and my problem is that I am not of the people. You know, I, I am clearly uh, elite. I am clearly, you know, uh, kind of uh, raised and and uh, experience-wise. Uh, in a different league mm-hmm. and in fact the biggest kind of accusation or counter uh, campaign against me when i ran for mla was precisely this you know the, the opposition party went around saying here's a periyadapulle he doesn't understand anything about anything you know he's uh, lived in the states whether he wins or loses he's going to go back to the states and at the time i diffused it mostly by kind of walking around i made sure i went to every uh, uh, slum every colony every slushy road everywhere right and i believe people can actually see in your eyes whether you mean what you are supposed to convey just as an example 
uh, I'll just read you this post, which was a bit of a shock to me. Um, I was going through some Facebook memories function, and uh, and it came up with this uh, uh, with this uh, picture, and so I, I I just posted this, and I said, uh, this picture is from 2013. Okay. At first, I just thought that the boys have grown so much in seven years that uh, they've changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I went and looked at the note I read, and it said something about I'm so happy to be home after such a long trip. And so I went and looked at my, uh, you know, I was an expat and paying taxes in three different jurisdictions. So the uh, the rule was that you had to keep track of where you were on what day for what purpose. Okay. Like your taxation rate changed if you were there for work or for transit or for holiday or for whatever. So I had one of these expat uh, tax calculators that PwC sent us. And, you know, so I've written in this that in Q4 of 13, when based in Singapore as an expat banker, my register shows travel to Jakarta, Sydney, Melbourne, London twice, Barcelona, Johannesburg, Cape Town, Lusaka, Dubai twice, Frankfurt, New York, Hong Kong, and of course, Singapore, Chennai, and Madurai. In Q4 of 2020, I have traveled only between Chennai and Madurai by car only. <laughs> so, of course, in some ways, my life has changed a lot. But in some other ways, I was never a guy who lived that differently. Mm -hmm. And that has been my saving grace, I think, in people not really getting uh, kind of offended or, you know, they, they know where I'm coming from. Right. It's, it's out of science, it's out of care, and it's not out of class or caste, which could have easily been my problem right. if I was a different person. I asked Mr. Tyagarajan next about how he believed election campaigning was likely to change. Tamil Nadu will have elections in the summer of next year. His insights here come from being the party's IT wing head and testify to the enormous shift to digital campaigning that many parties are in the process of making. Now, um, given that elections are going, uh, you know, will be announced in a few months, if I think of an image of election campaigning, it's always of um, a press of people, a crowd, a lot of uh, visitors in a house, uh, a car from which a person emerges and is surrounded by people. Um, I know that things have improved a lot right now in Tamil Nadu and that might be the case going forward or not for the next few months. But do you anticipate uh, any difference in how you personally are likely to campaign? Well, I, I think, you know, sometimes we, we kind of get a bit overwrought when we think about politics and campaign. So I think, you know, because I have this luxury as the IT wing head, right. let me break this into two different parts. I think part of the campaign is just about getting your house in order, part of every campaign is of ensuring that your large party of tens of lakhs of members and you know tens of thousands of office bearers are all aligned in the same direction, have the same kind of uh, verbiage in your communications, uh, all the internal squabbles are sorted, uh, all the kind of, uh, what can I say, priorities are set right and so forth. So, you know, large, large organizations come with pluses and minuses. Of course, it comes with a built-in voucher and a built-in brand recognition as a candidate and built-in kind of scale and a, and a machine. Mm -hmm. But it comes at a cost. And I think getting that machine oiled for the election is an important part of the election. Uh, I don't want to talk a lot about what I did, but if I fast forward 
compared to 17, 18, and then compared to 19, come to 20. Uh, after the pandemic struck, we were the first party to do an online all office bearers meeting. That is to say the top 250 office bearers of the party, we went online on Zoom in April. Now, many of our office bearers are 70 years old. So there were 250 people on that Zoom call? Yeah, without missing one single office bearer. The, the leader told us every Mauta Sailalar, every Ani Sailalar, he gave us a list of priorities. Every Sair uh, whatever, he gave us some list. Every one of those 250 people came online for a meeting on 48 hours notice uh, with not ex not no exception. I mean, two guys didn't come, but they couldn't attend. It was not because we couldn't get the technology to them. Right. But in many cases, it was my IT wing office bearer who put Zoom on his phone and put it in front of the Maudasela's face because, uh, you know, our average Maudasela is like 65 or 70 years old. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think uh, that to me was a revelation that we could go full digital. And it just got, you know, more and more amazing after that. When we did this, we had to process like lakhs and lakhs. Of, of course, we had an outside consultant, but they had limitations. They didn't have field work. Right. And so one day I got a call that said it's, it's Friday night now on Sunday afternoon or Sunday 11 a.m. Leader wants to talk to up to 125 of the beneficiaries who have uh, benefited out of Ondrana Mumbai. They're all over Tamil Nadu. How many ever of them you can line up is great, but ideally at least one per district or two per district. So it'll be like 30 or 60 people. Right. In 36 hours, we were able to get all 128 of them or whatever on the call with the leader, including that... Uh, Orua uh, IT party in Coimbatore, who my, one of my office bearers went to put a phone in front of her face. Wow. So it just got from there to there. At some point, we did the whole Podukulu. It like uh, my IT guys ran Zoom, multiple camera Zooms with setup and training and all that. And we did the entire general body meeting of the party, electing a historic uh, kind of a treasurer after, you know, third or fourth treasurer in the history of the party and general secretary, fourth or fifth in the history of the party. Completely by uh, by conference call, meaning every every place had a hall, and then we we had cameras going back and forth. And at some point, it became so good that we were doing internal party meetings, like in Madurai district, mm -hmm. when we did the party review with the leader. Leader was in Chennai. Three hundred and eighty different points within the Madurai district were simultaneously on Zoom, and all three hundred and eighty were connected by cameras. Each hall would have between fifty and five hundred people. And so tens of thousands of people. Now, in some sense, uh, this is more democratic than a physical meeting right. because on the camera, everybody's equal. Right. You know, and even the review meetings with the leader and all that, everybody's equal. Then we went to online membership enrollment and we have processed something like 25 lakh new members online. If you ask me comprehensively, I'll say two, three things. One, we were not that great geniuses. We benefited a lot from timing. If the geo revolution that has basically taken data costs from noticeable to zero had not happened right. in 1819, if therefore the penetration of internet in Tamil Nadu had not shot up 20 or 25 percentage points in two years or three years, if we were not the number one connected state in, in the country, particularly because more than 50%, or roughly 50% of our population is in urban areas, where everybody has 100% connectivity pretty much in India, and the remaining 50% is in rural areas, 
which is quite low. Most other states have much less urbanization than us. But even our 50% in the rural areas has about 50% connectivity, Tri says, and we are number one in the country in that. So, of course, that uh, benefited us. And of course, Corona forced us to go remote and distance. But if we put it all together, I'd say in some ways we are a more democratic party now than we were before we started. The good news is we've done that. The, the two bad news I'll come out of that. The first bad news is that, of course, there's no substitute for in-person meetings, right? Yeah. I mean, I used to be a senior managing director at uh, Standard Chartered. And though I used to travel a lot, the crucial part of my job was that I worked out of the headquarters in Singapore, where most of the people I needed to interact with, I could walk up or down the steps or take the lift up or down the, the, the floors. And therefore, the, the ability to solve problems like, is this really an acceptable risk or not? Is this client somebody I want to take on or not? These kinds of contentious issues are 100% or more, you know, faster and easier to solve face-to-face -face than they are in remote. Right? Right. And that even for professionals like bankers. Now imagine in a political situation where there's a lot of egos and kind of tensions and historical baggage. Right. So in some sense, uh, this will never be a substitute for the real thing right. at a kind of micro level. At a macro level, it works beautifully. At an at individual level, it doesn't. And all this takes part of the internal. Right. Now you come to the external. Mm -hmm. And you come to the external, and again, I would say there are pluses and minuses. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, and this is very personal, these mega events, these big for show events, in my opinion, added very little to your eventual vote bank or your outcome. We have had to kill those. We have no choice. We can't right. do those. So those are gone. I think uh, the substitute in people like me has been good. Maybe not everybody has taken this. I have therefore now leveraged technology to up my door-to-door -door campaign, which, you know, I, I had this commitment that every six months I would publish a pamphlet. I'll show you what one looks like. That said, uh, this is what I have done for the constituency, you know, uh, as in six months as being your MLA. Um, this is what I've delivered. Okay. And I used to do these door-to-door, -door, you know, this, this, this is what it looks like. It would say, uh, what have I done? How many complaints have I got? You know, I have these, mm -hmm. like, complaint boxes around the constituency. What mm -hmm. did I do with the, the constituency development funds? What have I argued for you in the, in the, uh, in the legislative assembly stuff? Okay. But I only used to do this once every six months. Okay. Now I have no choice. So I have to up my micro, micro game, and I do this every month now. I right? see. Because... As long as the crowd is not more than three or four or five people, there's no real harm. They're going outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have gone from these kind of big mega events that had questionable value to much more micro-targeted, in my opinion, uh, all, all politics is local, as they say, and, and the greatest value add in politics is a personal interaction. Right? And those personal interactions ideally should be with the candidate or with the representative or with the uh, party always better. But it's better than nobody if somebody goes. So what we have had to do, and, and again, I got a, I had a leg up on the curve. I had actually built a pretty uh, expansive field team of up to two people per booth. Like, the, the uh, you know, I am in the electoral politics business. So I always see the world starting with booths, which is the narrowest unit at which I can collect data like last time versus two times ago, like all these things. Okay. So I had already built a kind of mechanism from the booth up 
Right. And therefore, the ability to deliver from the booth uh, uh, level increased, and the necessity increased, and the and the value increased, and the execution increased. So I think we learned a lot, and I think, uh, in my opinion, at least, the takeaways I have from this is that politics has changed forever. Mm-hmm. That, of course, I think that as time passes between now and the election, you'll get closer and closer to the old model. You right. know, by March or April, it'll look as if there's nothing happened. Like this, right. the election of 2021 will be like the election of 2019 or 2016. Mm-hmm. It will be, you know, with crowds, with everything. But in some other sense, at least for a guy like me and for my party leadership, I think it has been an eye-opener that many of the old practices were a lot of noise without a lot of value. Right. You know, a lot of, you know, it was a lot of volatility without progress. Right. And that there are a lot smarter ways to do things and a lot more targeted ways to do things. Right. Or at least I, I can say for sure that I believe that. I believe that's a lesson I take away from this. But Mr. Tyagrajan is nothing if not pragmatic and he will not yet declare this to be the new normal. My take on this is that we, it needed a Tamil Nadu. I mean, I don't think this lesson is that easily learned in or applicable in, let's say, Bihar. Right. I mean, you know, certainly we saw the Bihar rallies yes. before the general election were uh, mega compared to anything, even yes. compared to the general election of 19. Mm-hmm. So I think you need a certain um, infrastructure progress. Uh, not just in uh, not just in telecommunications and uh, you know internet penetration and all that. You also need an average kind of uh, education level and the kinds of things that the Dravidian movement has produced in terms of per capita incomes and awareness and kind of uh, aspirations and all that. You need a more middle class, more uh, savvy. Right. What is in my interest and what is not, and am I going to waste my time for something that's not in my interest? Relatively speaking, right. you need a more savvy electorate, I think, for this to be a kind of outcome. And even now, I'm not saying I'm not saying the world has changed. It has for me. It has certainly for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has to some extent for my party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, I'm not going to make. Uh, uh, what do you say? One swallow doesn't the summer make. So we, right. you know, we don't know. I think we have changed in ways that are irreversible, Yeah. but, but time will tell us. Yeah. For me, this was an absolutely eye-opening insight into the world of electoral politics and how the pandemic has changed it. And I want to thank PTR Palanivel Tyagarajan for giving me his time and his candid perspective. I also want to take a moment to acknowledge the risks that politicians are enduring in this time something we may not always acknowledge or appreciate. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Anand Krishnamurti. On the next episode, a new question.